We are currently in a sermon series, and you know, we're a church that just goes through the Bible and gets going, and even on days like baptism. And so we're studying the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. We're going verse by verse. The plan is that we're going to take three chapters, finish by July, call that volume one, and pick up the rest in the future going to other sermon series. This gospel of Mark is called Who Do You Say I Am? It's all about the identity of Jesus, all about the identity of Jesus. We are in chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, and we're in the part of Jesus' life and ministry where we get to see what Jesus does. What does he do? What is Jesus like? What is he about? And we're saying he's doing four things. We see four things that Jesus is doing on the daily. He has disciples, so he is doing discipleship. He's raising up men and raising up men to be his followers. Jesus is then teaching. Jesus is praying. And Jesus is confronting darkness, healing the sick, and and sending out, casting out demons. We like to say that Jesus is someone who majors in majors. He gets the basics right. It's not flashy. What does Jesus do? He prays. What does Jesus do? He has disciples. What does Jesus do? He teaches. What does Jesus do? He prays for, uh, heals and casts out demons. And none of that may sound like anything spectacular, but that is the basics that we are called to. We are called to be like Christ. In this church, I am so honored that we take seriously discipleship. We take seriously that we are to grow and be more like Jesus. We're learning to be a people of the word. Every Sunday we open the word, but we want this word to be in our homes, in our private lives. Every Sunday we're learning to be a praying church. We have teams of prayer. We have a prayer today after service on the side. And we're learning, and just this mercy night we're praying for healing because we want to do what Jesus did and that's the basis. We want to be, we want the best compliment for our church, the best compliment for a Christian is, you know, that person, they're really good at the basics. <laughs> yeah, they don't know anything about the Antichrist. Maybe they don't know anything about other things, Greek, but they are good at basics. So we're going to look at Jesus's prayer life today. We're going to study prayer and I'm going to read these four verses or so and they go like this. And rising early, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Father, we pray that you would bless this word. God, we don't need another good message, but we need your power. We need your spirit to work on our hearts. We need your spirit to give us conviction or comfort. Lord, you know what we need. 
We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. So today's sermon is on prayer. Now, I know what I think you might be thinking, or at least I know what I would be thinking. Anytime somebody's talking on prayer, all of a sudden, very easily, very simply, we start thinking, oh, I just got to be better at that. We start feeling guilt. We start feeling shame. We start feeling like we're not keeping up. And we're saying, you know, you, you know, preacher, I, I know, I know. There's nothing really to talk about when you're talking about prayer. I know, I'm guilty. I, I, I could do a better job of praying. I could pray more. You, you, could, you don't have to preach your sermon. Take a seat. I'm going to work on that. I want to stop for a moment. And sometimes our problem is not that we need to do something better. It's that we need a different foundation. Sometimes our problem is not that we need to pray better or pray more, put more effort into it. It's that maybe our prayer is built on a faulty foundation. And I'm speaking here from experience. Over the last two years of my life, my prayer life has changed. And, big, and the reason it has changed really is by the grace of God, but it comes down to this. It's for so long, for me, prayer was a good idea. For so long, prayer for me was a like to have. For so long for me, prayer was an option. And I don't know what God did, but in, in, and I'm not perfect, and I'm sometimes here, but God has started to show me, and I want to show you today, that prayer is not a good idea. Something that we should do, because Christians do. I don't know, you pray, I don't pray. Well, let's pray a little more. No, prayer is life and death. Prayer is a matter of life and death. Mercy, we, we need to recognize that if we don't pray, if we're not a people of prayer, there, there, there's just not another way. There's not another way. All my prayer today was that we would stop, and maybe some of you are there and way ahead of me, stop seeing prayer as just a nice-to-have, good idea, optional, and come to a place where prayer is a non-negotiable not optional, must, for life and death depends on it. We always want to know, have a strong foundation. You know, when we think about sugar, cutting back on sugar, most of us here would say that's a good idea, right? Most of us would say, hey, you know, cutting on sugar is a good, good idea. But today we're going to have an after party, and me and you are probably going to eat some sugar, because we're excited, but it's another story when a doctor sits you down and says, buddy, if you keep going this way, you're not seeing your kids graduate. <laughs> it's one thing to say, you know, exercise is a good idea, <laughs> but it's another thing when a doctor talks to us and says, hey, grandparent, you're not going to be mobile in a few years if you don't exercise. All of a sudden, something went from a good idea to a matter of serious urgency and mercy. Can prayer be for, th uh, for that for us? A matter of real urgency? A matter of real non-negotiability? A non-option? 
I want to answer three quick questions today. Why pray? How Jesus prayed? And what we should pray about? I'll give you four quick things why we should pray. The answer is simple. Jesus prayed. The answer is simple. Jesus wouldn't do without prayer. Prayer was a constant reality, practice, habit, all of Jesus' life when he lived on this life. And I think it's to model something for us, but something deeper was going on is that Jesus prayed. And the first reason I want to give you why we should pray is consider that the much-needed power for your ministry flows through prayer. Think about that. Think about that foundation to build your prayer life on. Wait a moment. The much-needed, necessary power to keep going, strength, effectiveness, success in my life, in my ministry, that what's needed is the power that flows through prayer. We love, we read about Jesus is that that very next morning, he's going to go and minister. He's going to go and preach the gospel. But in between preaching the gospel, healing, and again preaching the gospel and healing, Jesus shows us the secret to power. It's spending communion with Christ, God. It's spending, a, having a relationship with God, a relationship of prayer. It is pressing in. Let me ask you this question. How are you doing in your ministry? You might say, Eugene, I'm not a minister. You know, every follower of Jesus is a minister. And every life we live is a ministry. In the kingdom of God, there are no non-ministry positions. You come into the kingdom, minister with a ministry. And marriage is a ministry. And parenting is a ministry. And roofing for your construction job is a ministry. And computing for your job, techie job, is a ministry. Customer service is your ministry. And my question to you is when we expand that and we are called to be ministers, affect others and influence others for Christ, how are you doing in your ministry? Are you lacking power? Are you lacking strength today? Are you discouraged? Are you bitter? Are you not seeing any results or effectiveness? The power for your ministry, minister, flows through prayer. God has called you. God has gifted you. God has blessed you. God, to God, you matter. Your life matters. He died on the cross for you. And he calls you into the kingdom. And he gifts you. And he equips you. And he puts you in a place with other believers. And he puts you in the city and in this world where you are not of the world. And now you are called to influence and affect and impact and serve others. And the question is, is are you doing ministry today without the necessary power? Oh, I want to be a successful dad. I want to see fruitfulness in my ministry. I want to work and see fruitfulness in my work. First thing I want you to notice is that the much-needed power for our ministry, our individual ministry, flows through prayer. 
Here's the second real foundation. We are, are inadequate. Would you agree with that? <laughs> Listen, we've got this big calling on our lives. We don't have what it takes. We don't have the resources within us. And what I realize is only when we recognize our inadequacy, our insufficiency with wisdom, with grit, with effort, with tact, with keep going, only then when we recognize that, that we begin to pray. You see, pride and prayer do not mix. Have you noticed that? Let me just say it this better way. Pride and personal devotional life do not mix. Because pride and public prayer could mix. <laughs> you could pray to impress. But prayer, a personal devotion, devoted prayer and pride do not mix. Because to do that and to be praying is to say, God, I, I don't have it. I don't have what it takes to be a mom. I don't have what it takes to be a nurse. I don't have what it takes to sing up here and lead worship. But God, would you bless me? That's a foundation. That's a fundamental piece of our minds that we gotta kind of get. Is I don't have it in me. Third, third point is we must consider the Trinity invested in our prayer. Now, I want to explain this. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Trinity, heaven is invested in our prayer life. God the Father commands us, bids us to pray to him. Can you imagine that? Not only that, but, but God binds up his power and his activity on earth with the prayers of his children. All right, God, when he decides to work, he works through prayers. I don't believe in power of prayer, but I do believe in power of God through prayer because you know, prayer is not just this chant. And God commands us to come to him and he makes his activity and what he's gonna do and his blessing depends on our prayer life. Now, let me just real quick set the tone, uh, scene a little bit for us. It is absolutely true that God and all of his purposes stand unchallenged, okay? Absolutely true. God's plans, God's purposes, God's intentions, what God is gonna do, big items, creation, redemption, coming back again, all of universe, you know, bowing our knee before Christ, that plan and even the smaller plan for our lives and our lives and whatever is going on stands unchallenged. That's a fundamental truth. He's a sovereign God. Here's an equal truth. God binds up his activity with our prayer. He works through our prayer. Now you might say, Eugene, are you trying to say if I don't pray, I could mess some things up? I don't know. I think so. Because we're commanded to pray. But I do know that those two truths are standing tension. Like God is sovereign over all. He commands all. His purposes are unchallenged. And I do know that God does things through our prayers. But like most, most of the time, he will work through our prayers. I'll tell you why that's a comforting truth. I could sleep at night. 
but I can also be challenged to pray. So we can always stand here where we have the responsibility to pray and we believe that God is gonna work and be active in our lives only when I pray is in through my prayers and that can be crushing. Well, I have this other truth to balance me that God's plans and I'll never be perfect and God's plans continue on but it's also not true that God's plans and purposes are so there that I don't have to do anything. God calls us to both. The Trinity is involved in our prayer life because not only does God command us to come and ask and pray and have a relationship with him, but Jesus paves for that access. Think about this. You today have an access to the throne room of God that was bought with his blood. We often think prayer is this simple thing and you could just pray and anybody could just pray and God's gonna hear and God's entitled to listen. Hebrews talks about approaching God through and only through a mediator. And guess what? That access to the Father, one of the blessings of the cross, the flows from the cross, there's many blessings, but one of those blessings is that he pays for that access so that you and I can pray to the Father. Not only that, not only the Father commands us to pray, Jesus pays for it, but the Holy Spirit is within us helping in our weakness, helping us pray. This is wild. The whole triune God, all of heaven is invested in mine and your prayer life. It's that significant. It's that important. It's that not optional. And fourth, consider that your greatest rewards will be won over in your prayer. Your greatest rewards will come through your prayers. I was reading an awesome book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill, and there he has a little aside, like a paragraph where he kind of goes off topic, and he, he talks about how in heaven, most likely, he believes this, this is his hunch, there will be anonymous Christians, unknown Christians, who will have rewards greater than the famous preachers. Because these anonymous Christians, these Christians, and I don't mean to degrade, but let's just say no one, nobodies, are flipping the kingdom of darkness upside down with their prayer life. Oh, they brought in so many people from the world through their prayer life. There's so many rewards and work of God attached to prayer. C.S. Lewis has this marvelous quote, and he says, my hope is when I die, when I die, all of hell rejoices that I am out of the fight. My hope is that when I die, all of hell, that's heaven, all of hell rejoices that I am taken out of the fight. Is that true for you? Do you believe that your heavenly rewards are linked up to your prayer life? Your greatest rewards are there. You ought to be praying with expectation. You gotta be interceding for our city, our neighbors, your life, your loved ones. You have people in your life who need your prayers and God will reward you. 
1 Samuel chapter 12 has this awesome, awesome verse. And once you read this, you'll never be able to forget this. He says this, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Far be it from me, Samuel says to the people of Israel for his farewell address, that I should sin by ceasing to pray for you. You know, my desire is at this end of this sermon, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm guilty of this. There are moments and times and seasons in my life where I fail to pray for this church, for my neighbors, for our city. And if that's true in your life, would we repent together? Would we make this our prayer? God, forgive me for failing to pray for the people you have made me responsible for. God, would you help forgive me to pray for the people you've put in my life, for my coworkers? And I could just list everybody. Because your neighbor that you're praying, you ought to pray for is the person in your life, the next person you meet on traveling through this life. Be a prayer warrior. I want to put these pieces in front of you. If we recognize that the power for our ministry, just like for Christ, flows through prayer, when we recognize that we are inadequate completely to do the job, but by God's grace and help, when we recognize that the triune God, heaven is invested in my prayer life, when we consider that our greatest rewards come from a prayer life as we intercede, my goal, my goal is that begins to transform our minds, our thinking, and we start understanding, I, I, there's no other way. The only way into an effective, fruitful, beautiful, meaningful life is through the prayer. Now let's talk about the life or prayer life of Jesus. About 20 times in the Gospels, we read something about the prayer life of Jesus, whether it be a quote, a statement about Jesus' prayer, a quote of Jesus' prayer, or something like that, about 20, 20 times. And there's about four aspects that can be drawn out of these 20 times that we can use to learn about the prayer life of Jesus. Because like you, I want to know what my Savior, my Master, my Lord did, how he prayed. First, we're going to notice that in the prayer life of Jesus, he had a regular schedule of prayer. Five times in the Bible, we will read these things, and we're going to put it up for you. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. That's what our Savior does. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I love the word often. <laughs> After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And the fifth time is Mark chapter 1 that we've been reading. First aspect of the prayer life of Jesus is he did it all the time. Second aspect of Jesus' prayer is that he was thankful. Three to five times in the Bible, I won't quote you all the quotations. 
we find Jesus thanking God. Look at Matthew eleven twenty five. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. How, how sweet is that? God the Son praying to God the Father, saying thank you. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So they took away the stone in John, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I'm just melted by this. We find third aspect of Jesus' prayer is intercession. But I have prayed for you that your your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is praying for his brothers, but notice in Luke 23, 34, Jesus is praying for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus was engaged in intercession, intercessory prayer. Fourth aspect of Jesus' prayer life is that he prayed prayers of consecration. This is, these are prayers where Jesus is declaring surrender, where Jesus is expressing not my will but your will. And I'll just give you one quote. My father, and we're going to get to the table soon, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So what can we summarize out of the prayer life of Jesus? One is that Jesus prayed before big decisions. Jesus prayed before calling his first disciples. Jesus prayed before he was tempted by Satan. I think about my life, (laughs) how I rush to big decisions, and then remember to pray. (laughs) Anyone, anyone, smile at me, wink at me. Jesus prioritized prayer before the big decisions. But watch this. I think the main important point for me is that Jesus not only prayed before big decisions, Jesus prayed when he was busy. Jesus prayed when he was busy. Chapter one of Mark speaks a day of, in the life of Jesus. We find out probably sometime morning, Jesus is in the synagogue teaching, casting on a demon. Then Jesus goes afternoon to Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law from fever. Then that evening, the whole city shows up at Jesus' door. You got to get this. And from what I understand, and you could challenge me on this, but when Jesus heals, he doesn't just heal like with a blanket statement, like heal, you know, you're all healed. He spends one-on-one time or one-on-ten time, right? He, he spends individual time. So you can imagine how worn out Jesus is. And that very morning, he's going to go out and preach to other cities. Can somebody say Jesus is busy? And when he's busy, he prays. I have learned that when we are busy, which, by the way, let me talk a little bit about busyness. I have never met a person who said, I have so much time on my hands. I've never met a person who says, you know, I'm not busy. What can I do? How can I help a church? Everybody's busy all of the time. I've learned that when we say we're busy, all we're saying is, that's not important for me. That all, when we say I'm busy to pray, we're saying that's not that important, can wait. When we say I'm busy to read the Bible, all we're saying is that can wait. Busy and the excuse busy is simply 
a declaration that whatever we're using busyness on is not important. But what I learned is when Jesus is precisely when he's busy, he prays. Now that's speaking to me right now. Maybe that's speaking to you. Maybe this is one thing you walk away from this service and you start evaluating all the things in your life. I probably, when I mentioned the word busyness, you almost got like traumatized by that because you're like, I've got so much things to do. And the life of Jesus teaches us the priority of prayer in his busyness. Would you pray when you're busy and not put it away? So we see Jesus praying before big decisions. We see Jesus praying in his busyness. I, I like to step back and think about, and I want to challenge you practically, how to pray. You see, Jesus had scheduled prayers. Jesus would pray on a regular schedule. Jesus would pray also, I think, reacting. Something's happening. He's praying. Jesus prays spontaneously. He declares thank you to the Father out of nowhere, right? Let me ask you these three questions. Out of these three types of prayer, scheduled or a habit of prayer, spontaneous prayers, or learning to react with prayer when something bad happens, something great happens, we run to Jesus as a natural instinct. Where are you? Where could you get better at? Where could you improve in your prayer life? Because some of you, you're so good at scheduling your prayers. In the morning, you wake up and you pray, and then you don't pick up the phone again with heaven till next morning. It doesn't matter what's going on. Some of you, you're not good with scheduled prayers, but you're good at spontaneous prayers. You know, you're driving in the car, you're like, whoa, awesome Mount Rainier. Let's praise God. You turn on worship. That's you. That's awesome. Some of you are reactive. Prayer comes up, you pray for it. People, need comes up, pray. I don't know what it is for you. Would you take that next step and be like Christ? Whether it's learning to pray more regularly through the day or learning to schedule your prayers or learning to make your first reaction to good news or bad news running to Jesus. Now, what should you be praying about? Well, we saw here a few things. And I'm gonna give you something that I learned. I don't know where I learned this, but I could never, ever forget it, and it has helped my prayer life tremendously. <laughs> Have you ever um, heard or came to a prayer meeting and you're like, we're gonna be praying for an hour? I don't know what to be praying for. I don't know how to pray for more than a couple minutes. I wanna give you four dimensions of prayer that you can practice in your prayer life. They stand for the acronym ACTS. Each word is a dimension of a prayer. We're going to start with A. In your prayer, when you're talking to Jesus, adore him. First A is adoration. Declare his greatness. Declare his goodness. When we sing a song today, open up your heart, open up your mouth, and declare that God is a good God. Second, Dimension of prayer, see, confess. Bring all your sins to him, for he forgives you. He's a gracious, kind God. He's paid for every sin of yours. Third letter is thanksgiving. 
If worship praises him for who he is, thanksgiving praises him for what he's done. Oh, start itemizing. Start listing through lists and lists in your head. God, I want to thank you for that and that and that because every good gift is from above. And fourth is supplication. Supplication is when we bring our needs before God. Are you asking God for your needs? I love this one unknown quote, and it says, give everything into God's hand, and eventually you will see God's hand in everything. Give everything into God's hand, and eventually you will see God's hand in everything. I want to challenge you with one specific thing when you're asking God is that you would use your prayer time to plead God's promises. I I don't know if you've ever prayed like that, but you take a promise of God and on that basis you're asking God something. You say, God, you promise, not in an accusatory way, but in an agreement way, in an expectation way, that God, if you promise, you are faithful, you will do so. So God, when you said that you will supply all of my needs and I am worried about my job, but God, you said you're going to supply all my needs. So God, I am expectant for miracles. God, you said delight yourself in the Lord and you will give me the desires of my heart. God, my heart doesn't have godly desires. My heart does not want to read the Bible. My heart doesn't want to want you. But you said delight yourself in the Lord. And you're going to give me my desire, your desires to be mine. Oh, Jesus, for that great commission, you promised your presence for evangelism. And God, I, I'm thinking about talking to somebody about Jesus. And God, you're going to be with me, right? I know you're going to be with me, right? Because you have promised, plead God's promises. Four things in prayer. Whether that be spontaneous, whether that be schedule, whether that be reaction. When you go on a walk and you're walking, take time to adore him. Then switch over to thanksgiving. Start thanking him for things. Then switch over to supplication and start interceding on other people's behalf and start bringing needs to God. And then switch over and start confessing your sins. And a beautiful prayer will come out. You will learn how to pray that way. You'll learn how to be not one-dimensional because I, I, I know it's so easy to just come to God and say, God, give me, God, give me, God, give me. Ever prayed like that? Well, how about God, give me, God, give me, God, give me. God, you're glorious, you're glorious, you're glorious. God, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. God, I confess this sin, God, I confess this sin. Make your prayer life a rich one and the Holy Spirit, remember, is in you helping you in your weakness. Let me begin to wrap up. If we read Mark chapter 1 and continue on, we find that Jesus is praying. He makes time in his business to pray. But watch this. Jesus then gets up, and when the disciples find him, they say these things. Everybody, everybody's looking for you. It's almost like a, point of temptation. Jesus, you've arrived. (laughs) You've healed all of Capernaum. Maybe you can heal all of us too, and let's just get this going. And Jesus says these words, 
that there's a different reason for why I've come. Let me just read it. Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. That is why I came out. Jesus is saying here what his mission is. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? His goal and his single purpose was to achieve our redemption, to plant us into the kingdom of light. Jesus came so that all of our sins may be forgiven. Jesus came to dress us in robes of righteousness. Jesus came so that we can be adopted into the family, becoming children of God. Jesus came so that the Holy Spirit can dwell in us as a seal. Jesus came so that all of his promises would be yes and true and amen. Jesus came for our eternal life. He does so. And he came and he invites you today to trust him. And trusting him is a type of repentance as well. Because to trust him, I need to turn away from everything else I trust. Everyone else I trust for meaning and purpose and security and safety. My question to you today is, if you've never trusted in Christ, would you hear his invitation that I came for you? I came for your forgiveness. I came for your adoption. I came for your righteousness. I came to give you the Holy Spirit. I came to give you eternal life. And the way we go in, the way we partake of this blessing is through faith, which is trusting in him. Let me pray for you right now. God, if there's anyone here today who has not put their faith and their trust in you, would you please Stir up, melt their hearts. God, would you draw them to yourself? God, I lift them up before you. God, help us to repent from all the things that and people we trust besides you. But God, would you also forgive us for ceasing to pray for the people you have put in our lives? Lord, help us in this regard. Help us to pray for our loved ones, our neighbors, our cities, that they too may know you. They too may be blessed by the gospel of grace. God, would you help us grow in our prayer lives, in our communion with you? And God, we trust that you will help us. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet right now? We're coming to the table right now. We have an opportunity to partake of the bread and the cup. We just highlighted a whole list of things why Jesus came. He showed us how to pray, and then we highlighted all the things he achieved. And this table 
is a celebration of everything he's done. And that's what we're doing here. That's what communion is about. It's to remember what God has done for us. Let me read a passage for you. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us thank God. Lord, right now, we want to thank you for your broken body. Lord, we want to thank you that you gave yourself over to be scorned, beaten, rejected, denied, denied the glory that was due you, but you went to the cross for our sins. And for that reason, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for all of your blessings. And Lord, I also thank you for this cup. It is not a cup of wrath. It is a cup of blessing. It is not a cup of justice. It is a cup of mercy. God, we thank you for everything you've done. I pray that you would help our hearts focus in on the gospel. Help our hearts praise you for everything you've done in our lives. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Golgotha. Lord, may your name be praised. Amen.